Uh, he's been on our radar for years. Uh, we, we've roughly been in touch with or trying to acquire for short-term gain. You know, as I've said throughout, we were willing to, to consider, roughly consider anything if it if it allowed us to he was recalled to or, or added to our 40-man roster he, he he roughly pitched one game before coming to the big leagues so you've seen roughly the extent of it we think he's in great shape uh welcome to roughly a podcast i'm your host brandon Boyd, joined here by my co-host phil smeraldo who's i only see your your forehead and tuft of hair on top so uh, well, that's because I have problems with the audio on my phone. You know how in the past we've had problems with me covering up my mic. So putting it like this reminds me to speak directly into the microphone. So, so you get, you I gotta, think you're only going to get the tough today. <laughs> you got to choke up on the bat a little bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, Phil Smeraldo, a.k.a. Philly Randolph. Um, how's it going? Willie Randolph, that was a, do, by the way, do you like how I know every player that it is, you've thrown it, at me thus far? It is pretty good. Uh, I, I, I don't choose, choose extremely obscure ones, but that one I was, I was a little concerned about. Willie Randolph was, did he play for the Pittsburgh Pirates or like the Detroit Tigers? Maybe he was a longtime Yankee played for, I think six different teams. Um, but uh, yeah, more, more known for you or I, because he was the, the coach, the Mets, when we were like teenagers. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Those so like black, I, the black Jersey mitts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm, if he has not had like, he didn't make an impression on me. So I'm going to say he was worth about 12 to 13 war in his career. Oh boy. You, you, you shorted Philly by a lot. This is uh, Oh wow. Okay. 60, he was better than I thought. 65.9 war for no. For, so for, he was he a hall of famer. He was not a Hall of Famer, um, six-time All-Star, second base. I don't know how he made the All-Star team six times. Like, his power numbers were awful. He didn't even steal that many bases. Um, he was a good on-base guy, but, like, in an era before, that would have been celebrated. So, mm-hmm. I think he was just a really good defensive player. And so, that, you know, that. the way that they look at, like, Hall of Fame kind of, or, like, I guess a good benchmark for Hall of Famers is anything above 60 or you have a shot. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of comes down to like the, if you're in that 60 to 70 range, then it comes down to like the more nebulous stuff. Like, Oh, did you win a championship? Did you win any MVPs or Cy Young's or whatever, whatever, whatever. But if you're in that 60 to 70 range, that generally means you're kind of a 50, 50 candidate, kind of like Larry Walker. He was right in that 60 to 70 range and he finally got in on his last, his last try. Yeah. Have you said anything racist? Those, those types of things. Yeah. Those kind of things. Yeah. <laughs> So Willie Randolph in 1980 led the league in walks with 119. How many times do you think Barry Bonds was intentionally walked in 2004? In 2004, Bonds was probably intentionally walked. I've got to imagine at least 85, 90 times. 120. So that's almost once a game. That's insane. Barry, once Bonds, a game Barry Bonds would have led the league in walks just with intentional walks in 1980. Uh, I mean, I remember when we thought it was a big deal when Daniel Vogelbach got 100 walks in a season for yep. us. And we were like, wow, that's really great. And mm-hmm. he did it without even trying 120 times. Do you remember uh, the time that Buck Showalter? I mean, this is pretty common baseball mythos at this point. But uh, the Giants were down by two runs, uh, yes. with two out, and Barry Bonds was at the plate, and the bases were loaded. 
and Buck Showalter intentionally walked Barry Bonds to score a run and it ended up working out like yep. they got out of the inning and got the win. Yeah, I, I think that 2004 might have been the season where his slugging percentage was higher than one. So yeah, you'd be, you'd be so, better off walking him anyways. <laughs> yeah, you'd uh, be better off walking him every single time. Yeah, no, the Barry Bonds baseball reference tour is a fun one to do every couple of months because it is it is just <laughs> unbelievable the things he was doing even the early early career stuff when he's sealing like 40 and 50 bags uh, so there's a there's a really good uh dork do you know you you see we've talked about the yeah, yeah, town yeah. uh you know the mariners obviously they did a full feature on them three episodes but there's a really good one with john boyce about uh what would happen in barry bonds's 2004 season if he went up to the plate without a bat every single time meaning he just right. never swung the bat and he still I, I i you should watch the whole thing whoever's out there listening to this but the the conclusion was that he would still have been a better than average major league baseball player if he had never swung the bat one time that season while we delay talking about the mariners as much as possible there's also yeah. <laughs> did, did you ever play um mlb it was 2004 i think with four. with john dowd Yes. Okay. Yeah. John so, so Barry, I remember John Dowd. Barry Bonds, for whatever reason, did not sign his licensing agreement. And so the game could not put Barry Bonds on the Giants. However, they had a player named John Dowd who had all of Barry Bonds' stats um, and was extremely good in that game because this is like, again, right in that heart of the 2004, 2005 peak Barry Bonds. But it's just this, yeah. this, this anonymous <laughs> dude named John Dowd. John Dowd was named John Dowd in that game because John Dowd was a video game developer on that thing and they just chose him and there's a great oh, i didn't know i i thought they just randomized <laughs> the name and that was kind of what it was but no I it is funny because it's it's so close to john doe that it's like they kind of just like yeah. tw- tweaked it a little bit no it's, he's a real person they just chose him uh i forget what who wrote about it but it is a, a awesome article that i'll dig up and put in the show notes but uh yeah that's isn't isn't uh bill belichick with the nfl isn't he the same he's like not in the association so they can't use him for video games and stuff huh. I don't know about that, but I remember uh, a game that I used to play a lot because my brother is 10 years older than me. And so I played a lot of NES as a kid, uh, mm-hmm. the Tecmo Super Bowl game, Randall Cunningham, uh, and I think Jim Kelly and a couple other uh, players did not, again, did not sign their licensing agreements. So it's just quarterback Eagles um, is, is, oh, okay. is that, yeah. and, and he's, he's amazing in the game. So yeah. Speaking that's... of video game legends, uh, just got to meet a video game legend yesterday, Ken Griffey Jr. Ken Griffey did, Jr. Baseball. I didn't know if that was uh, if that was protected information, and you were willing to talk about this. But yeah, do you want to expand upon your your reaction to Ken Griffey Jr. walking in your restaurant? Well, it was funny because we were so busy at the time, and he came in with one of the regulars that I always see. So all I saw was just our our regular customer. His name is Steven. And I don't know how they're friends, but I guess they are. And I say rich, hi to rich Steven, people find then, it. Rich people find it. Yeah. Time. Rich people flock together. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I said hi to Steven and he didn't have a reservation. He was like, do you have room for three? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I can set you up. Cause you know, if it's a regular, we always try and mm-hmm. make, if we have anything available. And then it was only an after, you know, a couple of minutes, the bartender who is a Cuban guy who loves baseball. Cause you know, in baseball or baseball in Cuba are like, Yep. That's the, that's the sport. He told, he was like, do you know who that is sitting there? And then I looked, I was like, Oh my God, it's, it's junior. I got to talk to him for just a few minutes. Uh, you know, I didn't want with my MO with the, you know, celebrities, I guess that walk into the restaurant, I really try to stay out of their way. Cause I know it's, it's their place to relax mm-hmm. and 
not be bothered. So I, I try and make sure that we all stay out of their way and just treat them like a normal customer. So, you know, I just said hello and made sure their dinner was good. And it was, and it was great. Did you, I, I thought this was going to end with, you got to see the miraculous conclusion to Ken Griffey Jr. taking uh, Malik Smith out to steak dinner as was, as was oh, promised. Oh, that would have been day. nice. That would have been nice. That, no. that should have been the conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Where's Malik's getting his checks these days? Is he playing? He's a, he's a minor leaguer. I believe he's back with the Mets. Sounds Not back right. with the Mets, but I think with the Mets. Cause he, so his career is he came over from the Braves to the Mariners, mm-hmm. from the Mariners to the Rays, from the Rays back to the Mariners, from the Mariners. I think he's with the Mets now. Okay. Yeah. No, no chance. You, you might need to double check me on that, but. <laughs> No, I, th- I think we have to we have to brave into the unknown here, Phil, and, and start, yeah. start actually talking about the real Mariners who uh, okay. have, have not given us a lot of, of fun stuff no. to talk about in the last week or so. They had four straight losses to close out the, the Rays series and the first three games in the Funhouse in the Bronx. Um, there was I br- hate that stadium. Yeah. I hate that stadium. <laughs> yeah, more, we'll get more, into it, but... More on that later. Brutal loss last night to the Rangers. Kind of was... That's, that's, the, that's the worst. I remember it was the first... The first game against the Rangers a couple of weeks ago back in Texas and Goldsmith was talking to Blowers and he's like, kind of think, uh, kind of think we need to sweep this one. And yeah, they, they did not, they lost that series and then start this one. And it kind of felt the same way this time. Um, and I think once again, Phil, we cannot trust an Eric with a case. Uh, Eric Swanson bring, blows it in extras last mm-hmm. night, but it's not completely his fault. Bases loaded, no outs, tie game in the bottom of the ninth. You have one, two, three coming up. JP Crawford strikes out Mitch Hanniger, yeah. terrible strikeout uh, and a yeah. Kyle Seager pop up to end the game. That's that or not end the game. It just can't, it cannot. I mean, that was after that inning. I, I, we were talking about this offline. I watched the game up until then. And I was just so disappointed at that point. I turned it off. I, and I didn't even care about, and I, that is something that I hardly ever do with Mariners games, even if they're down by 10 runs, just because I love watching baseball fall so much but now that we're you know kind of on this outside of contention and like it's actually meaningful I have too much stress in my life already as it is I don't want to watch the Mariners go you know strike out strike out pop out in the bottom of the ninth with the bases loaded I it just didn't feel good and I just felt like it's probably better to just go to bed tonight but you know I don't know. I kind of have come to grips with the fact that this team is, is not going to make the playoffs at this point and that's okay. And you know, it was never supposed to make the playoffs and that's how I'm consoling myself, but you know, obviously still very frustrated. Yeah. And you know, Phil, how you can rebound from a tough loss uh, against a quad a team from Texas is you unveil a statue of one of your greatest players and have no yeah. one, have no one know that it's happening uh, as the Mariners did. The Mariners have, uh, put up a statue of Edgar Martinez on Edgar Martinez drive along uh, on the side of the stadium. Have you seen the statue? It's, it's very, very vascular. Um, uh, I haven't seen it yet. I, so just, I, I, for all of our listeners, I'm off Twitter for probably hopefully a while. Um, but now I'm getting all my news through you. So if, if anything happens, I need, I'm relying on you because really it was what I did on Twitter and this is going off. I guess I'm really trying to delay talking about my disappointment with the Mariners, but I would, I, I promised myself this incarnation of Twitter. I would only follow baseball stuff, which I did. And it was all good. But then there is this little, little thing about Twitter where just one tab away, there's this thing called discovery. Uh, never. And you're, 
yeah, you're discovering some very bad things on there that I don't wish I would ever discover. But I cannot help myself from clicking on that little tab to see what people are talking about. And it's always just makes me depressed or angry or sad or some some combination of those three things. So I'm really trying to give it a break for right now. Yeah, Twitter's weird. You kind of need to um to to give it more you need to follow more people to get the, the most enjoyment out of it. But the, the more you do that, the, the worse it gets. So yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of weird. And, and I don't know, have you, have you seen the social dilemma, that documentary, the second? I haven't. Uh, yeah. That, that one you just said, it was, um, there's an exec in there talking about how some, some like tech, you know, uh, Silicon Valley guy talking about how like Instagram, well, I think it was Instagram. They figured out that they just need you, need you to follow like, like 19 people. And if they can do that, then they have you hooked. And the way he was talking about it, it's just like, that's exactly what it is. It's just like Twitter, you just need to create a big enough web, web of things that'll piss you off and then keep you going back over and over. And yeah, it's like, I, I know this is a baseball podcast, but these social media- <laughs> Is like, it anymore? Yeah. I, <laughs> Does it I, have I to just, be? I just feel like it is a really, ne- it's like a feedback loop of negativity. Like I go on there and I get angry, but the angrier I get, the more I want to go on there. And like, it's just, it's real bad. And I think it's, I think it's for the best. I I'm glad I never got an Instagram. I, I, you know, never really had a Facebook or anything like that, but for some reason it's always been Twitter with me and I'm really glad I'm trying to break the cycle. So long, long way of saying I'm, I'm not really up to date on, on a lot of things. I'm going to have to find a new way to, to get my news. And I think I've got a good way of doing that, but for immediate stuff, I'm going to rely on you to text me about all the baseball stuff that comes across on Twitter. Here's what you do. I think you go to uh, T-Mobile, any, any home game. You don't necessarily have to go to the game. You can if you want, but you, you buy a program and you read the programs. Like, yeah, like <laughs> I read the programs. that's how you get every, all of your news. So everything you read is like, <laughs> is like a month outdated. The player you're talking about has already been traded. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's and I, I'll know the heights and weights of all the players. So <laughs> yep. I mean, that'll be good. <laughs> that'll be good. Their number. Absolutely. Um, uh, so more, no, but I got other ways to do it. I even without Twitter, I'm going to find ways to keep myself informed and maybe even better information, because as we know, with following baseball via Twitter, it can be very good sometimes. But also we've talked about, you know, Mariners Twitter in the past and how yeah. that can just kind of be a cesspool. So I think I'm going to change my thinking on how I get information and how I, you know, metast- or how I digest this information. I think it'll make me a better host of this of this podcast and a more informed guy overall in terms of baseball i definitely feel that of like what if instead yeah. of doom scrolling through mariners twitter after a loss i just read fan graphs or like got yeah got exactly little, got a little smarter yeah yeah uh, um well the the other part of this this edgar statue that i think is worth pointing out is that it says edgar martin it's like the, the edgar's on top low gracie uh and then it says edgar martinez and then it says Seattle Mariners under it. And then it says 1987 to 2004. So it, it almost reads like a tombstone of saying that the, yeah. Mariners, the, the Mariners died in 2004, which is a, an interesting time to say that they died because yeah, it certainly hasn't gotten that's better. When the, that's then. when the doom spiral kind of started. Yeah. Cause it was 2002, 2003 were still winning seasons. And then 2004 yeah. was when things hit the shitter. That's, that's the Bucky, ins- Bucky Jacobson inflection point. Do you know what's insane about Edgar's career? He didn't make the majors until he was like almost 28 years old. Yeah. And he that, played and he played for what 17 seasons after that? Yeah, it'd be like if Ty France hadn't surfaced yet. Yeah. And, and we could still and have this a would be Hall like if Ty career. France just came up this year. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, it is it is uh, remarkable. We I think yeah we did it well. Actually no, we would probably skipped Edgar because we didn't do a DH for our all time team. So maybe it's time that we do. Uh, now that he has a vascular statue and you can see his veins, it's time to start talking about him in a in a more retrospective way because it sure doesn't seem like we're gonna have a lot of fun stuff to talk about with the uh, with the major uh, league clubs. You do you know if Edgar's still part of the organization? I know he was a hitting coach for a while and then Tim Laker took over for him. I think he got demoted but I think he's still a member of the organization. I mean, they're definitely uh, laundering money through him, through the, uh, the cantina and left field. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he gets the checks. So we know that uh, that's uh, yeah. The, <laughs> the email I sent you, did you read the email I sent with the link? To no, I podcast? didn't even read the, I didn't even read the title of it. Oh, Edgar's. <laughs> <laughs> now i read it <laughs> the subject line i sent to phil i always send him a ridiculous subject line with the link to this zoom uh that said edgar statue quote-unquote full of cocaine seattle times reports <laughs> um it is not full of cocaine as far as we know but you never know um all right let's let's get into this uh, all, right, all right injury we notes. have to talk about the mariners at some in- point injury notes that was this is in a tweet from shannon Dreer, so you would not have seen this but uh, she said that Justice Sheffield is getting closer to a re- rehab assignment. Hell yeah. I can't wait to see him pitch again. Uh, should be back What do you soon. think? What? Okay. Let me, can I ask you a question about Justice? Sure. So let's, let's say he's got, cons- conservatively, he'll pitch. If he, if all the rehab and stuff goes well, he'll probably have seven or eight starts the remainder of the year. Does that sound about right? My question is, who does he replace in the rotation? I think they could go back to a six. At this point, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. just hemorrhaging. Then, yeah. Yeah. But, okay, let's say conservatively he has seven more starts, okay? Mm-hmm. What would you need to see from Justice Sheffield in the next seven starts that would make you be like, okay, he's got a, he's got a spot in the rotation next. Is there? I guess I should ask, is there anything he could do in this next seven starts where you would go into next year being like, Justice Sheffield has a spot locked down as a starter? Um like a sub four five fifth yeah maybe, but maybe. even that is like that's i don't not know. that's not sexy at all but yeah i don't know if there's anything my point of asking that question is i don't know if there's anything that he could do in the limited time left of this season where he's not coming into camp next year competing for the last spot in the rotation yeah i would agree and i, I think it, you know looking at this rotation you know from a long-term perspective you you probably you say Kikuchi absolutely Chris Flexen I think absolutely uh you know these are all barring, barring trades Logan Gilbert absolutely I don't think that Mark, Marco Gonzalez would lose his spot unless there was a no. trade so that's that's four and I would assume that you're not going to be a six-man rotation next year um and that would mean that they're not going to go sign anybody and I think everyone kind of yeah. expects them to spend some of the resources that we expect them to spend on not you know basically whether you're getting Tyler Anderson 2.0 or a, a top of the rotation starter somebody to stabilize that rotation. Now, as we've learned this year, you can't walk into a season with five stars and expect it to work, right? You need, you need yeah, guys you like need, Sheffield you need in the both. organization. Um, I think the best lesson for that is the, both the Dodgers and the Padres this year, mm-hmm. both of them had, I mean, you look at the Padres rotation at the start of the year to Nelson LeMay, Blake Snell, Chris yep. Paddock, uh, Joe Musgrove. Darvish. I know I missed Mark. Say that again. Darvish. Darvish. Yep. Uh, and I'm missing some other guys. I think they had seven really strong candidates for the rota- rotation at some at, at the start of this year. And what were the Padres trying to do at the deadline? 
trade for Max Scherzer. Yep. You can never have too much pitching. It's just impossible. If you have eight starting pitchers that are studs, there's a good chance that you're still, you know, going at the deadline trying to get one more piece. It's just, it's one of those things where you need just an abundance and an excess of starting pitching arms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and a guy who's right behind Justice Sheffield in, in the, uh, recovery timeline that Chandra also talked about was Justin Dunn, who is apparently basically like a step behind where Sheffield is. He'll make his rehab assignment soon, or he'll make his simulated start soon, and then also do a rehab assignment. If those two guys come back, I mean, who comes down? Wyatt Mills, Middle, Keenan Middleton, yeah. probably. Um, probably, probably one of those two guys, yeah. Or extended time and at Triple maybe, A, just maybe Eric Swanson, maybe one of the bullpen guys. Yeah. Uh, and then other notes is that Kyle Lewis is running. Uh, he's out of the wheelchair. Uh, yeah. He's and, doing baseball activity from of what I've heard. Yeah. I don't know what baseball activity is, but it, that's what he's doing. And he's, he's he'll be in BP soon. Um, so Kyle Lewis probably can't back come back soon enough for, for this lineup that we just saw uh, just put up a dud last night. You ready to talk about the, the, the Yankee series? This, this is one of the, yeah. stu- can I give, the- can I give you one more thought on uh, starting pitching though? Sure. Okay, so do you remember, and it only jogged my mind, and it's something I've been meaning to talk about for the last probably three or four episodes, and it's still true, but I've just remembered it because we talked about the Padres and starting pitching. Mm-hmm. Mackenzie Gore. Yep. Uh, you know Mackenzie Gore, correct? Yep. I, and he, this is he, with all the... Was he 1-1 a couple years ago, three years yeah, ago? He, yeah, and he, is, he was, you know, a top five uh, prospect in all of baseball. And for a long time, he was, you know, when the Padres were doing their insane, you know, trading and just making a smoking crater in the middle of their farm system. I can't remember. I can't even remember all the people that, you know, they traded for Tommy Pham. They traded for, uh, Austin Nola, they traded for this, they traded for that. But the one guy that was pretty much untouchable, uh, was Mackenzie Gore. And now I'm going to read to you his, you know, ERA runs per nine, all that kind of stuff in AAA and with the usual caveats, but still Jesus in in AAA this year. And he's now, I think, 23 years old, almost. He has a 5.85 ERA. His strikeout to walk ratio is 1.50. So he's walking almost yeah. as many guys as he's striking out. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's just not good. Um, and I'm wondering if there is an opportunity for the Mariners because they, I know that DePoto loves to target these types of guys. I'm wondering if there's an opportunity for the Mariners to pry somebody like Mackenzie Gore away in the off season. Yeah, that's uh, that was, that was an interesting pull. I thought it's not the direction I thought you were going to go with that. I thought you were going to say more along the lines of like, you know, uh, why do we covet or, 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 well, that, that caveat, <laughs> that caveat applies too. like, Emerson Hancock and yeah. George Kirby and all these and Brandon Williams and all these guys that were, you know, talking about as like future pieces of the Mariners. None of them are nearly as as uh, pedigreed up as as uh, Mackenzie Gore. And mm-hmm. look at what Mackenzie Gore is doing in AAA right now. It's it's not good. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, Wiseman once told me, Phil, 10 stop. You yeah, know, I did. Yeah. <laughs> there is no such thing as a pitching prospect. And I think that that plays out over and over and over um, but I, I would, I mean, I thought it was pretty interesting what DePoto said in the wake of the Toro trade when he said, this is what we do, right? The, the, this is the type of guy, like the, the, we acquire the guy that another team doesn't have time for, 
to develop yep. them. And yep. that would be exactly what Gore is. That's exactly what Ty France was um, to a large degree. That's exactly what Austin Nola was like. Dylan they, Moore. Yep. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not quite bearing fruit. Even, yeah. J, even JP Crawford. I mean, it, J, I think JP is actually a perfect example of that. Like the Phillies could not afford to wait around. They were in their yep. window, even though JP, you know, had the, I think he was what the number three overall prospect yep. in baseball at some point, but they just were in a window and they could not wait for him to develop and they needed the sure thing in Gene Segura. And here we are with JP now. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's a very astute observation and that's definitely what they target. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, patience does pay off, though. I mean, Carlos Rodon for for the White Sox uh, comes to mind of like they're right in that window and they waited on him and banked on mm-hmm. the talent, and now he yeah, just got hurt. But like, is a Cy Young candidate, and that talent is yeah. there. It's just you got you gotta you gotta allow it to come to fruition. So I, we- yeah, that's that's a long way of saying I would like to see them target somebody like Mackenzie Gore or maybe even Mackenzie Gore himself this this off season. Yeah, spicy. And you uh, know, I guess they did that with Jake Bowers a little bit too, right? I it hasn't <laughs> it hasn't shown to be effective with him, but you know. And now I don't have time for Jake Bowers. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> that's uh, funny how that works. But Jake Bowers was a top fifty prospect in his own right at one point. So, you know. Yep. Let's uh let's 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 talk about this this Yankee series specifically. Yeah. Um basically how to how to lose a series in 10 days. Like this, this was the yeah. dumbest series, dumbest ballpark, dumbest team, dumbest. We umpires. played better than that. I'm going to start this off by saying we played <laughs> yeah. better than that. Like yeah. that was so frustrating. We lost, uh, well, for, including the race series, we lost four games in a row by five runs. Um, there's a tendency, I think in general to think, Oh, like, what was me? Sky's falling. We can't compete. Now. I think that's, that's true to a degree, but, uh, I don't think that this series is the indicator for that. I think the indicator had already been there that we're not that type of team in all four games against the Yankees. We had, we had a lead. Uh, this is courtesy of ump scorecards on Twitter. A uh, great follow for the, the Twitter inclined, uh, not my co-host um, and passed along by dear friend and listener, Michael Stanton. Ump scorecards looks at the consistency and accuracy of the umpires, basically how, how well they're calling balls and strikes to a, to a set strike zone and how many runs those calls either add or subtract from a team. So Thursday, the, the Paul Seawall, Joey Gallo three-run homer game, uh, yeah. their, their calls added plus 0.47 runs for the Yankees. And you might say, okay, that's not even a full run. It doesn't matter. This should be zero, right? There should it be, should be zero. <laughs> it just should be zero should, every single game. Every game of adding, every... Yeah, they should not be adding anything to anybody. Yeah. Friday. And also, I, I so just real quick on the, I, I don't know if you're going to get into the home runs and the short porch and stuff. Oh, yes. But Gal, okay. I, I, are you going to use the stack cast metrics on the, ex, ex, expected batting average? Sure am. Got them. Okay. Up. So I'll, I'll let you do your thing. Okay. Fr- Friday plus 0.29 runs for the Yankees. 83% of true strikes were called correctly. 83%. That's like four out of five Horrible. times they're, they're correct about the, it should be a strike. They're calling it a ball. Uh, and that's, and runs. that's, even take that's even giving them the easy ones that are right down the middle and stuff yeah, like that right which means they're missing probably half of the edge calls <laughs> yeah it's insane saturday plus 0.27 runs for the yankees and sunday the game that the mariners won plus 2.63 runs for the yankees the yankees didn't score in the game but somehow yeah. the some of the umps were giving them 2.63 runs basically because well that's also probably because you know they're giving them runs that were subtracted from us exactly you know, they make exactly. bad calls on us you know yeah. stuff the, like that the mariners had three 3.1 run 3.11 runs taken away from them by the umpires on sunday yeah uh there was a call so bad that jared kellen got ejected from the dugout 
Um, the, the Mariners BABIP in the series, I thought this was, I expected this to be low, but it was actually like three, 290 for Seattle, 300 for, for the Yankees, both above their average. Do you know the Mariners? Yeah, but sec- like, remember when JP hit that, like it was a bases loaded and JP hit that rocket shot up the middle and then it yep. just turned into a double play. There were a lot of times where it just felt bad in that series, like unlucky. I know the, the stats that might not be, I would like to see what the win probability added on those fluke plays were. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just felt like it was going against us every single game. Do you know the Mariners have the second lowest BABIP in baseball of any team? Why do you think that is? Is it this? It, it, it might be the shift thing. Like I think it's part of the shift. I mean, we have so so. I I, I have theories on this too, and I I want. I'm glad we're bringing up all the things that I've been that have been nagging at me that we've just never gotten to. Obviously, the Mariners are a very left-handed, heavy hitting yep. team. Um, left-handers are generally the ones that are far 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 more susceptible to the shift than right-handed hitters so i think that's part of it i think another part of it is the mariners approach where it's you know get your pitch and don't try don't try and you know just you know not like they they want a heart pitch right so Mm -hmm. they they're less inclined to just flip a, a a pitch on the outside corner and try and flip it the other way for a little single they're preaching do damage on those heart pitches and when you're doing damage you're trying to pull the ball generally. Um, so I think there's, there's part of it. That's part of it. But then, you know, some of it could probably be prescribed to just plain old bad luck. Mm-hmm. Someone has to be last in Babbitt. Yeah. And it goes with what we've kind of seen all year in terms of cluster luck too, that the Mariners have yeah. been very low in that um, offensively at least, but getting, getting luckier on the other side of the ball uh, mm-hmm. home, home runs in the series. Here we go. This is, this is the expected batting average. So Statcast does based off of launch angle, how hard you hit it in the ballpark, uh, the, uh, or not the ballpark, everything but the ballpark, um, the, what the expected batting average of these hits are, there are four home runs in the series. Now, granted, Kyle Seager got one of them at a expected batting average of 170. Kyle Seager loves right field in Yankee stadium, mm-hmm. uh, but the other three, Joey Gallo, uh, this is a three run homer off Paul Seawald in the Thursday game. This is 200 ex- 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 expected batting average for a home run, which is abysmal. Now, Aaron Judge got a 960. He, he had a no doubter. This one hurts. Rooknet Odor, 030 for, for one. 030. 030. That's, like that's like an infield fly. Yeah. Unbelievable. That's, that, that is literally just in every other ballpark except for Yankee Stadium. That is like a root. The, the most routine play you can have. How do they, how are they allowed to do this? They shouldn't be. It's, it's a travesty to the game. It is an absolute travesty to the game. It, it, I mean, it's, it's an intimidating place to play anyways, but with that, it's when a left-handed hitter comes up to bat, it's like, we're screwed. This this is the end of the game and getting Gallo, um, you know, it's just match made in heaven for, for Gallo him. is going to be an absolute monster in that park. Oh my God. Yeah. Cause you forget that judge judge and Stanton are right-handed. Like, I mean, and they have a short left field porch too. Well, but. if you're on Twitter, if you're on Twitter, you don't forget that because <laughs> every day you get someone saying fire cashman, you have the short left field porch and he stacks <laughs> the, the, the right. lineup with right-handed hitters every day. So yeah, it is, it is funny there. Uh, the Yankees have our number th- so far this season, uh, two and five against them this year. My theory on this is that the Yankees are like, well, the stadium, but the Yankees are a terrible matchup for us because of, because of our approach, our, our approach is basically with the same thing there is this, which is to work counts, get starters mm-hmm. out of the game, do damage to bullpens. The problem is, is the Yankees bullpen comes in and it is a buzzsaw. Those guys yeah, are those nasty, guys. nasty yeah. tooled up, 
up, up one side, down the other, that whole bullpen, their second bullpen war right behind Seattle and bullpen FIP and their, their bullpen in that series out of it was 36 plus three, I think. So 39 innings, uh, the mm-hmm. bullpen pitched 20.1 of those innings. So more than half of the innings in the series, the Yankees bullpen was in there and the Mariners could not do anything. They can't that. touch. And I think, you know, they got in the, in that first game that I think that they lost, what was it? Five to four yep. when they were going five up three. against Andrew. Okay. Which was the game where they lost to Andrew Heaney? Andrew Heaney started it and Mariners got four runs off him in four innings, got him out and then just were shut down the rest of the game. Let me see here. Was that the second game? Uh, yes, that was Saturday. So that was the, yeah, third, that was the third game of the series. Third game. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, it, it, but that, that, that was kind of the, the, the point I'm trying to make is, you know, four innings off of the starter, you get them out in, you know, with four runs and four innings and you can't win that game. That's, 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 that's terrible. Mm-hmm. And then again, the Mariners uh, only scored two runs off of Kobe Allard last night, who they had made look like a, a child in, in Texas a couple of weeks ago. So I don't know what the problem was last night, but not a good stretch for the Mariners offense uh, independent of the pitching that they're facing. Um, so, but I, I think especially that that Yankees team and that stadium is, is, is a hard place for the Mariners to, to find success in. Yeah. Guy, you know, we just got, we just got done talking about how the Mariners are a left-handed hitting heavy team. So I felt like they should have done a little bit better there, but you know, it was four games. It's a small sample. Yeah. Obviously it's a backbreaking four games that kind of pushed us out of the playoff race, but nonetheless, I felt like a split should have been kind of a requirement there even even the last game i was watching it with my dad he was in town and it, before uh the cal raleigh hit and the i think the cal seager ground rule double um that game was zero zero neck and neck and i just said to him like this feels like the type of game we lose like it's yeah you know, everything is going right on the pitching side but just cannot get runs cannot cannot uh make the yankees feel any sort of uncomfortable and you're just going to lose this to, to attention headache at the end. And they pulled it out, yeah. but um, that was only one of one of four games that felt that way. And they were able to achieve that result. Uh, one guy who, who is hitting um, right now is, is Ty France. And he's been hitting for most of the season, say, save a little stretch in May when we had the, uh, the little injury snafu happen there. We might've been trying to play tough through it. Uh, you had said a couple weeks ago that Ty France is having the quietest uh, 800 or so OPS season you've ever seen. Currently 779, uh, buck 21 WRC plus, which is down a little bit from last year, but so is his BABIP, which was like 400 last year. Uh, he... Can we pause for a second? Yeah. I'm getting this weird. Somebody just, oh, spam risk. Okay, never mind. I, I didn't know what, something just popped up on my phone. That was, that was uh, Griffey complaining that you broke the restaurant patient confidentiality agreement <laughs> yeah it's his lawyers yeah Ty, Ty so we're back on Ty France uh you had said before that he is the um as close as we can get to Edgar Martinez in, in on this Mariners team one more time for the folks like what about Ty France Ty France's beefy not athletic uh you know not even powerful swing swing happy doesn't take walks why is he still so successful despite all of those things and even with the, uh, we just talked about a little bit. I'm not sure if it's going to get cut out, but we talked about the the lower BABIP this year. Mm-hmm. He hit a 302 last year, and and up to this year, you know, he's hitting 280 without any sort of real tangible change in you know expected uh, batting average. It's just it, that one you can prescribe a little bit to luck. He hasn't struck 
back out a phenomenal amount, a tremendous amount more than he did last year. So I think what you're looking at going forward with Ty France is a guy who's going to be in that sort of 370, you know, he does everything sort of well in terms of hitting. I think his defense, even his defense this year at first base, he's gotten positive marks by, you know, OAA and UZR and all those things, but just focusing solely on the hitting for a moment. It's not a otherworldly on-base percentage. I don't think he's ever going to crack uh, 400 on-base just because he doesn't walk a tremendous amount. He does get hit by a lot of pitches. He's already been hit by 19 pitches this year, tying the Mariners franchise record. Set by, do you know who it is? Mm, Carl Everett. Jose Guillen. Oh. Same era. Wow, I love Jose Guillen. Yeah, so... 19 hit by pitches this year already. And do you know who is the only player who has more hit by pitches than him? Mark Kenna. How'd you know that? Because it's it's been uh, a, a point of consternation. And, and my thing is that Mark Kenna is incredibly more hittable. Like you want to hit Mark Kenna. Look at that guy. Like the yeah, chin, the yeah. chin, he he just looks like a like a, a target. Um, so, so anyway, that's all going to say, you know, he's going to be in that 370 to 380 on base percentage range. I don't think he's he doesn't have the Juan Soto level of play discipline to get any much. He doesn't have that level to get up to that 400, 410, 420 on base, which is the really rarefied error. That's the, you know, Vlad Guerrero Jr. Juan Soto kind of area. And mm -hmm. then he doesn't have the prolific power numbers. He's not going to slug 500. He's not Shohei Otani or, you know. Aaron Judge or Giancarlo Stanton, who slugs just a trim or, or has that isolated, you know, that yeah. isolated slugging percentage above, you know, 200. But he just does everything pretty uh, uh, solidly above average. And that creates a guy who's an 800 OPS, 120, 125, 130 WRC plus guy. And you put that with what has appeared to be plus skill at first base. Uh, you're you're getting a well above average regular. I think he's on pace for a four war season this year. So I think three to four war, which is just again a solidly above average player, a la JP Crawford, is what you're getting out of Ty France. And you start stacking guys, you start stacking guys like Ty France and JP Crawford, and then you supplement it with one more piece, and then you're seeing you're seeing what looks like a playoff team. So yes, Ty France. That's a long way of saying Ty France is. Extremely valuable and, and probably the most pleasant surprise of the year so far. Yeah, no, it's it's been great to see that this what we saw last year was not a not a fluke. Um, that he's basically that player, and is that player an all star? Not really. Is that is that player you know a a five plus win player? No, but that is that is the foundation. Like you need several Ty Francis in a good good lineup, and we have one. And that's and considering what the price was to get him. Um, and keep him for a long time. I think, you know, that's, that's, that's I just want to, I want to make a point. I want to make a point about why guys like Ty France and JP Crawford are so important. And it's Mike Trout. You have Mike Trout, who's been on the angels for how many years now? Probably 10. He debuted in 2011. Yep. So yeah, he's been there 10 years. He's made the playoffs one time. We obviously, this is a huge story in the national media and no one can ever talk about Mike Trout without mentioning how he's only been to the playoffs one time and they got swept in those playoffs but it's because the Angels don't have J.P. Crawford's or Ty France's or guys like that around them. They always, the Angels strategy has been, let's just get two or three superstars to put around uh, Mike Trout and let's just not worry about the rest of the team basically and run, you know, uh, I don't even know who they run out there at, at you know, with their pitching anymore. Uh, anyway, 
the point is you can't just make a roster of, of what they call studs and duds. That works. I know that works in the NBA where you just get, I think the Brooklyn, Brooklyn has it with whatever Harden and Durant yeah. and West Westbrook, or I don't know who the last guy is, but they have that. And uh, they, is it West, is it Westbrook? <laughs> I, I love a, a cross sport <laughs> Phil reference. Cause it's not for a lack of trying. You, you do yeah. try them. It, it's Kyrie Irving. Okay. And yeah, so they have that and that works fine for them, but, and that works fine in the NBA, but it just does the studs and duds model does not work in baseball. It just doesn't. And it never has. And that's why baseball to me is the most beautiful sport. But when they sign Corey Seager this off season, it will fix everything. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) and they're probably going to try, but I mean, it's, you need a well-rounded team. One star is, is it's obviously nice, but it's not the difference between going from, uh, a fringe contender for the playoffs to a world series contender. You need a, there's a lot of steps on the way to that. I think they need, uh, the angels have this problem where they just need more guys who pitch and hit at the same time. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, that would obviously help. It, yeah. It's clearly a, a you know, it, it's working for them. Maybe they should, they should develop that part of their, of their organization. No, you're, you're totally right. Um, you know, Ty France, these, they're not super expensive players like Ty France, but you need them and you need a lot of them. And, and look at the Dodgers. Like, they kind of have Ty France plus and guys like Max Muncie and uh, yep. Justin Turner and, you know, kind of elevated versions of that Chris Taylor um, that you just turn over rocks, you find them and they are cornerstones of your, of your uh, lineup. And then you, and, and you, su- and then you, and you supplement it with the Mookie bets. Yeah. yeah and exactly. then you're all of a sudden the Na- the national league favorites win the world series, you, but you only supplement it with Mookie bets. Once you have that solid foundation into place. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the aircraft carrier, as Jack Sorensic would say, um, you know, it does, does not power a lineup. It, it supplements that. And it's like Nelson Cruz, like Nelson Cruz doesn't do any good to the pirates lineup, but to the Rays lineup with a bunch of guys who get on base and don't necessarily mash Nelson Cruz is perfect. So you, you said before how Ty France is, is kind of your old school number two hitter, um, like slap, yeah. slap around, get on base. Do you want to talk about the new thing in baseball about how, the number two guy is your best hitter and that's kind of like slowly been a shift in conventional wisdom. Um, like you still see the, the guy, the best guy in the lineup hit third, but, um, it's kind of a avant-garde baseball idea that hit your, hit your second, hit your best guy too. Yeah. I mean, the best guy too is, is for this reason and this reason alone, if you're hitting second, you get over the course of a season about 40 more or 30 more plate appearances than if you were hitting third mm-hmm. and that's just over the course. You don't want, I, I, the whole notion is that you don't want your best hitter standing on deck when this, the guy makes the final out, you know, you want him to get the most opportunity he can over the course of a season. But then you also have to balance that with, well, we want this guy coming up in, in positions where he's able to drive in runs. So you don't want to bat him first but you also want him as close to first as possible with still the opportunity to bat in runs. Um, So that's where, you know, second obviously is the more natural fit. I, I, maybe this is just me holding onto a vestige of the past, but also it works well for Ty France because he may very well be the Mariners best hitter besides, you know, there's obviously the argument for him and Mitch Hanniger, but Ty France also has the added ability that uh, Mitch Hanniger doesn't, which is really, really strong bat to ball skills, which is something that used to be highly, highly coveted in the number two hitter because you wanted to do hit and runs and you wanted to, you know, have them work the count and 
wear the pitcher down, see a lot of pitches, stuff like that. That's kind of gone out of fashion in baseball, but stuff that I think still has a moderate amount of value. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, dead on with, with the more plate appearances over the year. I've also seen um, how, well, it's, uh, it, it's intuitive that the more, the earlier you bat in the lineup, the more opportunity that you're up at the plate with less than two outs. Um, and that, that is, that is huge in, in, you know, not, not every situation, but creating more of those uh, like extend the inning type situations. And that's why you, you bump guys up. There's a, there's a tool called lineup analysis tool uh, on baseball musings.com. Uh, it's pretty janky, but it was What's baseball. I, you have now <laughs> taught me something new today. I've never heard of this website. I don't Please know. Like what, I don't know what else is really on baseball musings.com other than this tool. Uh, but it's, it's pretty interesting. You basically just type in a lineup and you put in the, just the, uh, on base average and the slugging percentage of nine guys. And it spits out just based off of that, nothing, nothing else, nothing about speed, um, you know, nothing about strikeout rate, nothing else other than those two things. And it spits out the optimal lineup. And this is okay. just to prove the point that you, you can do that. Like the, the like numbers can tell you what the optimal lineup is. The Mariners optimal lineup, according to this tool, um, Jake Fraley leads off. Yeah, I see. Okay, so that's actually something that I've been pushing for for a while, and I think he would be perfect for that. And I know it doesn't take into account speed, but I know what it's it's doing. It says, okay, who's your best on base percentage guy with not you know the kind of like massive power numbers, and that's why they put Jake Fraley there, right? Yep. Uh, second, and this is obviously weighted. His stats uh, as a Mariner are just better than everyone else. So they're going to put him here. Abraham Toro hitting second. Okay. Yeah, Tom. well, that one, I think that one comes with a, a, a big caveat. Obviously, his stats are otherworldly right now, but we'll see where that pans out. Tom Murphy third. This is interesting. No, wrong, <laughs> wrong. I, I know. Agree. Whole uh, model. Like, uh, <laughs> then Mitch, Mitch fourth, Ty France fifth, then Terenz, then Seeger, then Kellenick, and then J.P. Crawford. Um, interesting that they have Crawford batting ninth. I thought so, too. I mean, the OBP is, yeah. is quite high. Um I think maybe they think it's best to have your nine and your one hitters both be high on base guys. Probably. And, and yeah, yeah, I mean, just that second leadoff phenomenon that happens, but then you just get less JP Crawford at bats over the course of a season. And I guess they're they're saying that he just doesn't slug well enough to to earn those. And there might be some truth to that. What is the logic if you had to guess behind putting Murphy third? I don't know. Um, It, it, it just has to, it has to be, maybe it's like some, his, it must be like they're taking into account his like isolated slugging percentage or something. Yeah, but I don't know how they get that that number. Um, yeah, that yeah. was that was quite surprising because it would feel like Terenz would be the guy who you know just has has the more mashy stats there. But um, yeah, interesting there. So that that was the one detriment I saw from BaseballMusings.com and their tool. But I thought that was interesting just to see uh, optimally what the lineup would be. We would never see that lineup um, for for lots of reasons, especially the Murphy part. But um, interesting to see kind of the the quant uh optimization of of, of the marriage. yeah so the last question here phil is uh whose leg does jose marmaleos need to hump to get onto this roster um well can i tell you can i tell you something because i'm prepared for this one i'm okay. very prepared for this one are, are you a jake bowers uh, defender no I, i'm just a context giver is what i want to be okay who do you think has the best wrc plus in triple a right now uh of of the rainiers no of anybody um is it 
it's somebody uh, you know it's somebody you know and you probably know them fairly well sky bolt for the, the no no the no days. somebody passed him up and it's somebody you definitely know very uh, beautiful hair oh oh i know it's um uh, taylor modder yes yeah <laughs> taylor modder yeah we had a 1.220 ops in triple a so he is roughly oh there we go hey roughly. Now. He's roughly Barry Bonds in AAA, but he, you know, obviously it's taken him until now to get called up to the Colorado Rockies, which he Mm -hmm. just, I think he just made his first game or he just played in his first game yesterday. Um, All that's to say, you know, it's these guys who are, I think moderate moderate 31. I think Marmaleos is how old he's He's 29, 28. Yeah. So he's 28. These guys who um, are old for the league and they've been up into, you know, the majors for a while. I hate, I hate the term quad A because I think it's always used as a pejorative kind of way of saying, oh, well, this guy will never cut it in the majors. But I I think there's something to be said for these guys who are yo-yo players up and down, up and down, up and down, who can't seem to find a home, Uh, you know, I, do we think Taylor Motter is going to be a a long term piece for the Rockies? My assumption would be almost certainly not. Just like I think Jose Marmaleos is not a long term piece for the Mariners, and I know it sucks because he's been absolutely raking in AAA. But I think if they wanted and they needed an outfielder, which they they probably don't with Lewis coming back, but let's just mm-hmm. say in a hypothetical term they did, I think just letting Taylor Trammell struggle for a little while at the major league level is going to be a lot more valuable than bringing up Jose Marmaleo. So I, I, I think I'm firmly in the camp of don't bring up Marmaleos. But do bring up Trammell because we can't take any more Jake Bowers. Yes, but do <laughs> okay. bring up Trammell. Do okay. bring up Trammell. Uh, just that... let, and even no matter how ugly it gets, do, the, do what you do, are doing with Kelnick. You tell him, hey, I don't care if you go 0 for 4 for the rest of the season, every single game you're getting reps, you're getting at-bats, and you're going to learn, and you're going to get better. I think that's the most valuable part that – I think that's the most valuable uh, roster use you could have right now um, is just having these guys get experienced. Because I I really don't – and we've talked about this in past podcast episodes, just this the the huge, vast gap between AAA and and major leagues. It's almost doing Taylor Trammell a disservice to keep him in triple a at this point, you just kind of have to let him struggle at the majors for a while. Jake Bowers. Uh, when do you think his last extra base hit was? Has he had one with the Mariners yet? <laughs> he has, but it, it's uh, it was June 22nd. He doubled. Oh, wow. It has been a while. He had, you called it right off the bat. He kind of came in like gangbusters when he started at a WRC plus of 88, which is not crazy, but for, for his role, that was, that was yeah. serviceable Had the really high BABIP. And then July, 16 before yesterday where he had a, a, a hit and a, a run scored. And I believe it drew a walk um, his WRC plus in August was just 33. So he yeah. has been terrible. So that's, that's, that's called Evan. That's called Evan white territory. Yeah. But honestly, you need, you need Evan white to, I, I know this is going to sound terrible even because, because next year is a year where they're supposed to go for it. You need to give Evan white reps the entire season. And then you can make the determination on him at the end of the season, but you cannot do the yo-yo with him. I I am firmly anti-yo-yo at this point. It's something I wish the Mariners would clean up, especially with how they've done it with Tramel this year. 
you let them stay up there until you make the determination that they're not your caliber player, and then you trade them or you're, you release them. But mm. continuing on with the yo-yo is just not doing anyone any help. Yeah, no, the the, the quality of pitching in AAA is just not not. <laughs> It's it's really bad, and it's and just not good. Yeah, it's, it, I don't I don't know how else you can a, describe it. It's against a bunch of guys who are basically the Taylor Motter of their uh, of 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 pitching, right? They just they don't yeah. have major league stuff, but they have good enough command to um, to to stump guys, and that's that's good enough. Uh, or they don't stump guys, and they get they get trashed. Yeah, Marmaleos in in AAA since being demoted on May twenty third, uh, basically when the Mariners got uh, got Bowers. WRC plus of 186, 20 home runs, walk percentage of 14.8, um, and a strikeout percentage of 15.6, which is when, when he was in the majors with the Mariners, his strikeout percentage was 34%. Um, my, my whole thing with this is whether it's Marmalejos, whether it's Trammell, uh, this lineup just Jake Bauer's best case scenario is drawing a walk. And yeah, it really is. Marmalejos can do a lot more than that. He has power. Um, because because Kyle Lewis is coming back, he probably won't need to play as much outfield, which makes which makes him less uh, damaging because it gets gets a little funky when he goes in the corners. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm fine with whatever, but it, it cannot be Jake Bowers. Yeah, I think I think the Bowers and I know Damon Castella Stubbs doesn't have a, a great shot at becoming anything. Maybe best case scenario, he's a you know a, a swingman type uh, like a Ryan Yarborough. I think that's that's what kind of his 90th percentile outcome would be, so to speak. Um, but it still hurts to trade someone like that to watch Jake Bowers. And he's been terrible. I mean, there's just no other way around it. And I don't know what the Mariners thought they saw there, Yeah. but it, 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 it maybe it's just, they got enthralled with the pedigree, you know, a former top 50 overall prospect doesn't, you know, doesn't become available for Damon Cassetta Stubbs every day, but obviously there was a very clear reason for that uh, being the case. And I think the, the Rays knew it a long time ago when they shipped him off to Cleveland. And I think Cleveland figured it out quickly. And I think the Mariners are figuring it out now that, you know, regardless of what the pedigree says, sometimes it's, it's just not right. It's not, yeah. he's, he's just not the player that they, they wanted or expected. Yeah, certainly not. And there might be a little bit of uh, pride swallowing there as to why he is still on the team now. But um, as has been said many times, it, it's, it's, he ain't it. Um, and that's, yeah. that's, been, that's been borne out. Uh, let's, uh, let's do a quick minor league thing here. Just about our buddy Julio Rodriguez, who is now an Olympic medalist, won the bronze medal with the Dominican Republic in the Olympics. We never really talked about Julio Rodriguez because we will talk about him a lot in years to come. Kind yeah, of. who? Just really quick, who won gold? Uh, was it? I mean, I just would have to guess it's Japan. Um, I know, I know, the U.S. got silver. Yeah, but was it Japan? Yeah, it was Japan. It was Japan. Okay. I think there's only like five teams playing. To be honest, uh, yeah, it was like Israel was in there. Um, yeah, so not a crowded field, but either way, uh, Dominican Republic medals for the first time ever. Julio, not for nothing, but had a 106.9 OPS in the Olympics for bronze winning the, the, the bronze winning team. Milky Cabrera, one of his teammates, only hit an OPS of 810. Milky Cabrera still hanging in there. Um, I like that, and I like that it's all these guys that are either like post MLB or they're young. It's like, no, and it makes sense. Like nobody yeah. who's actually in the majors right now is going to be getting the, a time off approved in the middle of a season to go play <laughs> for their, their national team. But like the younger guys, 
probably will like Julio. And then the guys who are fresh out of the league, who just probably got phased out also like Batista and Melky Cabrera and those guys. Yep. Uh, the domestic success for Julio has been uh, a lot as well this year, not just in, in, in Japan for the Olympics, uh, but he has jumped a level from when he started this year in Everett to Arkansas. He's only played 14 games in Arkansas, but has an OPS above 900. Generally, what is the, the scouting report on Julio? Right-handed hitter, big power, um, great, you know, good plus athleticism. It kind of seems to me like it's just strikeouts is is the uh, the, the detriment, the thing he's got to get corrected before he's a major league player. So the comp that I hear thrown around a lot, which is it's a hell of a comparison because this guy's going to be in the Hall of Fame pretty soon. Uh, but it's Miguel Cabrera, mm-hmm. a guy who hits off and their swings actually look very similar in the fact that they both hit off their front foot, meaning they don't they're just so naturally whatever strong or their bat path is so naturally perfect or whatever that they have this ability, this, you know, almost superhuman ability to not drive through their back and they kind of go and lunge out onto their front foot and still drive the ball. Obviously we've seen uh, the exit velocities off of Julio's bat. They're in the 115 range, which tells you that this guy hits the ball extremely, extremely hard. Uh, but he does have a little bit, if there is one thing that's going to, hamper him it's the same thing that hampers almost every right-handed slugging power bat it's the it's the slider low and away off the plate that he is still having trouble laying off of it's you know it's the breaking stuff he can hit anybody's fastball he could probably hit a major league fastball right now that's not what he's focusing on in his development and that's when he struggled in the uh lead-em, which was the the dominican league the dominican winter league last year he he left on his own accord because he was like, Hey, I'm obviously not good enough to play in this league right now, which is fair because that league is very, very good. There's a lot of very good players that play in that league. Um, you know, he was struggling and getting exploited with those, that, that, that big league breaking stuff. So Paul Seawold to kick his ass right now. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and but, that's, you know, the, the, the upside is obviously, I should say the upside is obviously unlimited with him the you know it's it is miguel cabrera upside it's it's that kind of it's he's that kind of player mm-hmm. yeah i mean this time next year is he he's is, probably knocking on the door yeah i mean definitely yeah. i think by by yeah. september of next year i would be I would if be he's not up if, by if he's not up by september of next year something's gone super super wrong yeah if he's up if he's up in june of next year something's gone very, very right. So, you know, it's just one of those things. Or the, the other alternative is playing Jose Marbaleos and right. <laughs> yeah. And we got to have a better option. Yeah, it, I, I think that that sounds about right. And and hopefully next year, him coming up in September is not like, a you know, you've got to feed you to the wolves here. It's that you're you're an auxiliary piece on a, on a playoff contending team and, and help help this team in that way. I know I use this. I talk about this guy every single podcast, but he's probably honestly on the same timeline as like Brandon Williamson up Mm -hmm. at some point next year for just like a a tryout basically. And then in 2023, it's you better make this team. 2023 will be 30 years old, Phil. How how does that make you feel? Oh God. Um, let's uh, run down each of the, the other minor league levels. I haven't done this in a little bit. So a little bit to catch up on here uh, in Loe Modesto. Noel don't Mar- take my, don't, don't take my uh, hydro of the week. Don't touch on it. You don't, it, want me to- don't touch on, don't touch on Kirby Hancock, the, the brothers. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll leave them alone. But uh, yeah, Noel Marte uh, is now Fangraph's number 10 overall prospect. Yeah. Uh, he last Tuesday went four for five with a walk and then three homers for nine RBIs. And uh, that young man just turns 20 in October. He has a lot to work on, but the early returns there could not be better with uh, 19-year-old Noelvi Marte just tearing. And I know, I know, I told you just not to talk about Kirby, but now you're bringing up prospect rankings. Did you see where he's ranked in Baseball America's newest list? Noelvi? No, Kirby. Uh, was no, I, I did. George not. Kirby's ranked the number 11 overall prospect <laughs> in baseball. Uh, well, let's let's do a quick checkup on, on Everett. And then let's talk, talk, about, right, talk, right. talk, talk Sorry, about I'm it. obviously very fired up about him <laughs> yeah. right now. We'll talk yeah. about the, the, the pink inhaling uh, video game character. Uh, <laughs> hi, Everett, my guy, Victor Labrada, who uh, yeah. got called up from, from Modesto to Everett a few or about a month ago, he was the Cuban international signee tore up Modesto uh, his WRC plus in in uh modesto was buck 24 now just 71 in mm. in high eight that's okay uh, yeah it's but not it was, terrible but it, he'll adjust it was crazy though that his wrc plus was that high in modesto higher than noel v's even is now he had one home run in modesto he just he just yeah. he's an on-base up, guy yeah t- gets on base and then gets home when he gets on base yeah um, and and that is that is uh, a credit to his speed okay double a George Kirby, Emerson Hancock, both of them have been called up to Arkansas. This is great news. Um, and they, I imagine, will both get shut down here eventually, and that will be the end yeah. of the season to protect them. But uh, this is exactly what you want to see from these two guys. Yeah, and I guess I'll do my hydro right now because both of them were on the Baseball America cover page. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you happen to see? So yes. that's back-to-back years. That's back-to-back years that the Mariners have had that because Julio Rodriguez was the guy before that. And now we have Kirby and Hancock and maybe next year you'll have no Marte. Maybe we'll make it a three for three. Yeah. Um, but either way, uh, really good news about both of those guys. The better news is I know it's always scary when, and both of those guys have had um, bouts of it this year where they've gone and had, you know, two or three weeks off. And it's just been this kind of mysterious shoulder fatigue that has, you know, shut them down. But I think we can see that now as just, it, with the benefit of hindsight as the Mariners being super, super careful instead of something actually being wrong, because if there was something wrong, they would not be pitching still right now. So I think it is just the Mariners really trying to be ultra aware of, you know, these guys having a long layoff after COVID and then trying to ramp them up very carefully and not do any long-term damage. George Kirby in Everett struck out more than 30% of his batters. Yeah. It's insane. Walked less than five. He was absolutely destroying that that league and Emerson Hancock was uh, also extremely effective just not that gaudy in terms of his his statistical production um but I think was was more ground balls like good good stuff from from, from yeah Hancock, just just not that not that level um so now all of a sudden that rotation at double a is just nails because they have Williamson brash they basically yep. have the starters from Everett at double A now. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to say here that basically the entire farm system seems to be in double A say for Noel B. Marte. Um, yeah. That, that is, that is where the, uh, the money's in the banana stand, as I've said before, and the banana stand is in Arkansas um, to, to triple A checking in another, one of my guys, Ian McKinney, who jumped from double A AA to triple A. This is the former uh, Cardinals farmhand that uh, got traded over and was kind of turned around. Yeah, you like this guy. 
he has somehow already pitched 40 innings in Tacoma. So he's been there that long. He's been starting wow. there and is getting touched up a little bit. But again, I mean, this is just growing pains. Like I, I yeah, it's, it's okay. And it's also, it's also Tacoma where it's like impossible to pitch. Yeah. Uh, go from Arkansas where you're very protected to Tacoma where you are very exposed uh, that that can happen. So all good. Just wanted to, you know, guys I've, I've mentioned in the past, wanted to check in on them, Labrada and McKinney, and they are struggling a little bit, but the fact that they've jumped the level is, is the, is the whole point there. Uh, a guy to keep an eye on real quick is a second round pick. We've talked about him quite a little bit, but Zach Deloach, he's now in double yep. a, he was struggling a little bit at the start, but it looks like he's starting to pick up some steam, which I, I'm pretty high on his hit tool. I think he has the chance to be someone like, you know, I don't want to say Harrison Bader because he's not a great hitter, but something along the lines of like in a uh, 110, 115 WRC plus type of guy at the major league level. Mm-hmm. And I believe Caden Polkovich has also jumped to Arkansas. Yeah, he yeah. has and is, uh, is doing quite well there too. So again, the whole farm system is, is, is really there. Uh, all the guys that started off wearing frogs on their hats this year are now, now in Arkansas and uh, enjoying, enjoying themselves there. Okay, bike ride. For me, it is rushing to the mean. I the, We knew this was coming with the Mariners. They have lost six straight one-run games um, after seemingly being invincible. Seemingly being invincible in one-run games, uh, Mariners were completely in control in extra inning games. They've now started to lose those, and uh, I hate it because we all kind of knew that this was a house of cards and a paper tiger, if you will, um, for run differential purposes, a lot of indicators, the Mariners were were heading for this exact fate. Uh, but the fact that they're here certainly doesn't make me feel very good. And then my hydro, and I would have asked Phil for his, but he has, uh, has died, uh, died mid podcast too bad. No, his phone died and I have lost him. Don't expect to get him back. So I'm just going to power through this here. Uh, my hydro Phil already gave us his Jared Kilinick uh, for maturing and also not maturing at all. Um, he, he was, which sounds like a 21 year old. He was interviewed by Shannon Dreher on the Mariners podcast, which I've said over and over and over. You guys need to subscribe to in this interview. He sounds like the Dalai Lama. Like he, he is completely composed. Uh, Shannon Dreher is talking about him, about uh, how he has changed his approach. And he's talking about how uh, when he used to strike out, it would be the end of his, his world. And then he, you know, he's, he's had a whole different approach. He's, really you know able to compartmentalize and move forward and he's talking about how he's never getting kicked in the teeth before and i was very proud of him for all these things that he's saying that we've kind of expected and, and saw from him from the outside but wasn't able to really confirm and he's talking about them uh to shade and it was great and then on sunday he <laughs> is arguing balls and strikes in yankee stadium uh takes his argument all the way to the dugout gets ejected uh for for hooten and hollering and uh in a game where it was all over the broadcast, the Mariners needed him to stay in there, that it are not deep enough for him to be taking risks like that, especially late in the game, especially when he is the only competent center fielder the team has, uh, and he did it anyway. So uh, classic uh, Jared Kelly doing both the mature thing and the immature thing. Phil, welcome back. Oh, hey, you were still going without me? Yeah, I kind of – I expected exactly what happened to – I, I, I thought that's what happened, that your phone died. So I was just like, he's probably he's probably done. Adapt or die, right, Phil? Adapt or die. Adapt or die. I gave my golden hydro to Jared Kellenick for uh, sounding really mature on the Mariners podcast when he's talking to Shannon Dreher and then being very immature by getting tossed from the dugout. And I thought that was, that just encapsulated being in your early 20s. 
you're, yeah, you're, I mean, he's gonna have the he's gonna have those moments, but um, I I just think he needs to. I it's hard because you don't want him to lose the intensity, but like you have to be smarter about that. Like you know that JP Crawford's under the weather, and you're already playing basically shorthanded. Getting yourself tossed out of the game is not the right thing to do in that situation. You just have to swallow it and walk back to the dugout. And arguing is not going to make an ounce of difference in that situation. Yeah. Uh, but his Wisconsin boy, Scott Service, had his back and, and joined him um, for, for a, a nice cold one in, in the, uh, the dugout at the Bronx to, to end that game. Uh, do you have any other hydros or, or are we? No, it was going to be, our... it was going to be, it was going to be Kirby and Hancock being on the cover of BA because I think, you know, obviously those two guys are now tied at the hip a la, um, you know, Jared Kelnick and Cal Raleigh. And I think that's important for the development of players to feel like they have uh, a buddy in the, in the system, you know, that they're making and moving their way through with. Or a nemesis that they're moving their way through. Maybe they hate each other. Yeah, it could be. Maybe there's a there's com- competition there. I, who knows? It's like a it's like a Magneto and and Charles Xavier thing. Um, yeah, two two, two, very <laughs> gift, two very gifted mutants, but uh, they know they'll. Well, be they on... started as friends, if you know the lore. Yeah, exactly, and yeah. they'll be diametrically opposed um, for the rest of their lives. Can I give you my uh, my uh, bike ride of the week? It's something I'm. It's very near and dear to my heart. Yes, the fans are glad that they finally got it because I, I wrote you off as not having one. Uh, but oh no, I do. You're resilient. It's, yep. It's the Italians. Tough day for us yesterday. <laughs> tough, uh, tough, tough day for us. Did you see the headline on CNN? Uh, the the Cuomo quote, right? Yeah, I'm not perverted. I'm just Italian. <laughs> uh, boy, that guy just will not go down without shitting on himself on the way out. I know, but like, God, that just set the Italians back so far. We're just the punchline again. <laughs> yeah, has, has has anyone from Italy spoken up and be like- No, I feel like we need a representative because I saw the discourse yesterday online and it was not favorable. <laughs> Who, who's the voice of, of the, the, the good Italian man that could-, that could... Guy Fieri. Guy <laughs> he's our guy he's he's our representative he's he's guy fieri for 364 days out of the year but he's guy fieri when he needs to, to <laughs> yeah when to he def- needs to represent us to defend the honor <laughs> yeah he, he takes he takes the the blonde highlights out of the hair and like slicks it over and yeah he's a whole different guy maybe, <laughs> maybe giada yeah i think giada needs to speak up for us. somebody needs to fight for us right now because we're getting kicked while we're down and it's a, we're in a bad spot right now as Italians. My favorite is the, this is a tough day for the Italian X community. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Anya sent me that tweet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so good. Uh, well, I hope you rebound, Phil. Um, I will try. I will try. Your honor has been besmirched here uh, by, <laughs> by uh, a, a flailing ex-governor. But yeah. uh, uh, appreciate you for, for getting on and for hopping back on, even, even when the phone died. So... Uh, oh, I wouldn't just... miss it. I was, I had that Italian thing in my back pocket all day. <laughs> I needed to get it out there. You needed to use your platform to, to, to yeah. speak up. Yeah. Uh, all oh, right. I we'll have some, it. wait, can I, before we sign off, I have some fun news. Can I share it with everyone listening? Ken Griffey Jr. will be on the podcast next week, right? Well, I, I'll try for that one, but have you ever heard of drink drinks with Daniels? It's uh Chris, do you know who Chris Daniels is? Yeah. Yeah, the okay. guy. He's awesome. Yeah, so uh, Ron Francis uh, is the new general manager of the Seattle Kraken, correct? Yep. He is on. He is going to be featured on Drinks with Daniels, mm-hmm. and guess where they're doing the episode? Intermezzo. 
Il Terrazzo. Oh, even better. Yeah. Fantastic. So uh, what, tune into King Five whenever that airs. I'll, I'll, when it gets closer to the air date, I'll uh, get back on the podcast and let everyone know. Okay. Love it. Um, that, that's, uh, yeah. So not, not this week, but in an upcoming episode. Upcoming episode. Yeah. They haven't even filmed it yet. So I'm assuming it's a while out. Fantastic. Uh, well, good tease there. Can't wait to see that. Um, but uh, good stuff, Phil. And let's watch the M's blow it to the Rangers tonight in 40 minutes. Oh. How about that? <laughs> well, it, it might happen. So, so either way, it's always nice <laughs> yeah. to talk to you. We're a resigned bunch. Uh, all right, buddy. Take it easy. All right. See ya.